Good morning and welcome back to our frequencies. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to ask you all to take a moment and take a deep breath in and let go all of the stress, anxiety, worries, any negative thoughts that were lingering in your mind, let them go. I'm not saying to shut them out, I'm not saying you have to get rid of them or ignore them, but just let go of the need to hold on to them. So today I really wanted to talk about nutrition. It wouldn't be me if I didn't talk about nutrition at some point. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, I am a certified nutrition and health coach And what separates me from other coaches out there is that I have a holistic approach to eating. It is not an enforced diet. I don't use that word. Diet culture is something that I have learned a lot about over the last few years. Um, And I myself have fallen victim to diet culture, especially during my um, bodybuilding competition days. It's very natural to fall into this very toxic behavior of dieting and feeling like our self-worth and validity is based on how our body looks like and what we're eating. Um, But I mean, that's a whole other story. Basically, nutrition is a large but also small part of fueling ourselves and I've been kind of toying with the idea you know I'm not sure if you guys have heard about this on the you know social media I'm seeing it a lot around about you know harnessing your main character energy like how can you be the main character in your life and I've been thinking about a lot of different concepts and trying to interpret it the way that I would, like how I would harness my main character energy, how I would romanticize my life and just fall in love with every single aspect of it and just, you know, really step into that spotlight, spotlight, (laughs) that spotlight that is my life. And I just cannot help but think that nutrition is a massive part of main character energy because when you step into that limelight and allow yourself to be open to all opportunities and experiences that are going to better you as a person you naturally make choices and decisions that are going to fuel you better that are going to help you be that main character the leading actor and we cannot do any of these things if we are not fueling ourselves properly. And nutrition plays a massive role in that because it fuels us and allows us to be our best. It allows us to harness the energy that we need in order to be the person that we want to be. So about March last year, March, April last year of 2020, I hosted a four-day free challenge for my Health Compass Blueprint coaching program. And I really pulled out the slides and looked through my notes and felt like it was time to revisit some of this gold, some of these gold nuggets. So if any of you have been through the four-week challenge, some of this information may probably sound very familiar. Um, And even if it does or does not, hopefully it'll be a good refresher, reminder, or something new that you've forgotten about. Um, So before I talk about 
I guess, nutrition as a whole. I guess a few things I wanted to quickly, I guess, provide some context about uh, the prevalence of dieting um, and, you know, a little rundown of what macronutrients are and how they fuel us you know we know you know i'm I'm holding up bunny ears with my fingers quotations healthy food like what makes food healthy now i use the word healthy food loosely because i also don't believe in giving food moral value there is food that is going to fuel us more nutritiously and there are foods that don't And naturally, your body and energy responds according to how you feed it, right? Um, And it's not to say that you're not allowed to have food that isn't as nutritious, but you will feel the consequences if that's all you're eating, you know? Sorry, I know my voice is kind of like cracking a little bit. I'm having one of those mornings where I have intense hay fever and I'm just feeling a little bit you know, inflamed overall. So I feel like my lips aren't even like moving properly. So if I do sound a little bit weird, it sounds like I've just woken up. I promise it's not. (laughs) I'm just going through some hay fever. (laughs) Anyway. And after I talk about macronutrients and how food does fuel us and how food is medicine, I also wanted to briefly talk about nutrition psychology. This is a massive part of my studies as a nutrition and health coach the psychology behind why we eat and why we gravitate towards foods that don't fuel us as nutritiously Uh, you know why we binge why we just seem to lose control or just become a slave to these foods Um, so really interesting episode and I hope that you enjoy it Um, so yeah without further ado let's dive right in So in 2017, a systematic review and meta-analysis on the prevalence of personal weight control attempts in adults, one of the studies found that for the year of 2010, 50% of Australians were dieting to lose weight. 50%, okay? And 60% of that population who were dieting were women. Another study in this meta-analysis found that in 2009, about 50 to 60% of the population in the United States were dieting to lose weight, with 74% of those being women. So that'll equate to about 26% men and also 40% men in the Australian statistics. And these statistics are from a decade ago. I, can't, I cannot actually believe I say like the word 2010 and I'm like, yeah, that was like recently. And then I look at the calendar and it's like the year 2021. I was like, oh, that was 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> but these statistics are from a decade ago. Like imagine what they are now. It would actually be very alarming. And what about the percentage of these that are fad diets? as opposed to healthy approaches. It's very clear to see how prevalent weight control is in society across the globe. And so how many of you have been on a diet before? I'm pretty sure most of us all have. I'm sure at some point in all of our lives, we've hit maybe a wall in our our life and thought, I want to change the way I look or I'm not good enough, or I'm too fat, or I need to lose weight, or I need to change something or fix something about my body. 
And I know that most of us can put our hands up and say that there was a point in our time, in our life, maybe more than once that we wanted to change something about our appearance. But I really truly believe that as a society, we are not being educated enough on how to form a balanced diet. I think it's gotten a lot better, but it's taken a really long time and it's still not really where it could be. And uh, we owe it to capitalism because it's so easy to feed into society's fear of not looking good enough, of not being good enough, because fad diets sell Um, and I I truly believe that's probably why there's a lot of misinformation out there I think that's why a lot of people think that they need xyz supplement in order to get their goals but I always always say that if there was some sort of magical pill that could completely transform our bodies then wouldn't we all be hot damn you know wouldn't we all have our dream bodies if it were that easy the thing is it is it is somewhat easy and I'll talk about that later but there is no magical pill or magical supplement or magical product that is going to change the way our bodies look so just to provide a little bit of context to I guess this lack of understanding and I don't blame I don't blame people like this at all I myself was one of these people at some point in my life and I think we all start somewhere but you know Hopefully, anyone who's listening to this podcast episode, um, hopefully this helps give you some perspective and maybe you might learn something. But um, I overheard a conversation um, a while ago, back when we were still working in the offices. One of my colleagues had a uh, client come in and I was, you know, they, they were at the reception and talking about this and I just happened to overhear. And now the conversations like these Uh, occurred very frequently so this is not the only conversation I've overheard like this but I went a little bit like this hey do you want some popcorn no thank you I'm on a very low carb diet at the moment oh really I'm doing the exact opposite I'm on a no meat diet I haven't been able to lose any weight yet though and this conversation continued Um, talking about how this diet was working or was not working for them and how they're going to continue uh, for, uh, you know, another month. And I kind of just shut down my ears and like just, you know, I didn't really want to hear any of this. You know, I mean, I feel like I feel like this episode is a freaking can of worms because there are so many tangents that I could go on. Um, But I just have to say this as well, like some people like, why don't you just like teach them, you know, if they don't understand, like, why don't you just like help, like give them the right information. And the thing is, like, there's such thing as unsolicited advice. I think people um, will be able to learn and will be able to hear the, the truth when they are ready to. And it is really not my place to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. See, I've been through that myself before. And if I hadn't gone through these experiences, these fad diets, if I hadn't learned them myself, I probably wouldn't have been able to change my behavior. Now, that's not to say that like if you see someone like genuinely struggling really, really hard and really, really deep into this diet culture or fad diet that you don't say something. I think like it's a little bit different when it's like that. But this is like a colleague that I don't really talk to who's talking to like their client who is a friend of theirs it wasn't really my place to come in and be like hey actually you guys are wrong (laughs) you know what I mean 
So I, I'm sure I don't really have to explain this, but for those of you who don't know what a fad diet is, it's basically what that conversation that I overheard was about. Basically, a fad diet is any diet that promises quick and easy weight loss without if any scientific evidence to support its claims. And even if it does have scientific evidence, it's generally quite one-sided. So it'll only show evidence that is for and helps the argument that the diet works rather than any of the evidence that suggests otherwise. And oftentimes these diets will involve some sort of extreme restriction or elimination of food groups, which makes them nutritionally imbalanced. And they can be extremely unhealthy, sometimes even dangerous to sustain long-term. And so why is it so easy to ride the wave of fad diets, even when we know that some of them are not healthy or sustainable for us? The answer is really simple. <laughs> We are impatient creatures. We want results fast. And I mean, another can of worms, but our devices, the way that technology has advanced our society to this day. Yes, it's amazing. It's helped make things so convenient. But at the same time, it's also fostered this need for instant gratification, the need to have things done straight away to have immediate results. And a lot of the time with life and any kind of self-development, nothing happens overnight. So a quick reality check, sustainable weight loss isn't fast and fast weight loss isn't sustainable. So what does create a sustainable diet? And I, again, use this word loosely because I believe that eating mindfully and eating nutritiously and balanced is a lifestyle. And how do we form this lifestyle? Well, it totally comes down to our understanding of the food that we eat, of the food that's available for, for us and how our bodies respond to that. And that's a very intuitive process and something that can take even years to develop. It definitely took me years, um, but it might be easier for you. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about macronutrients, a little crash course, if you will say. So macro is short for macronutrients. So you might have heard of like gym junkies saying, ah, oh, does it meet my macros or I gotta like, I gotta follow my macros. That's kind of what they mean. It's like their macronutrient goals and everyone has different macronutrient goals depending on their activity level, their body type, their fitness level, their age, their gender, all of these things, right? So there's no one size fits all. We all need different things. So macronutrients define and categorize nutrients that our body requires in large amounts daily. This is the thing, large amounts. We need large amounts of macronutrients. Um, hence why there are also micronutrients um, and those are nutrients that you need in small amounts. But that's another, another chapter <laughs> that we won't talk about today yet. Macronutrients are necessary for essential bodily functions such as energy production and hormone regulation. So it's really important that we make sure we have enough of each of these macronutrients a day. So the first macronutrient I want to introduce you to, just imagine I've got a guest on the show. <laughs> this is probably my favorite macronutrient, I'm not going to lie, and it's probably some of yours too. Our carbohydrates. <laughs> some people will refer to this as carbs. So carbs are basically our body's main source of fuel for energy. They're a term for food groups made up of sugars, starches, and dietary fiber. So believe it or not, 
when people say, oh, I, um, I don't eat carb. I just like, I'm on a no carb diet. That's, that's what works for me. And they only eat vegetables. And whilst vegetables are very nutritious and have a lot of vitamins and minerals that are important to our body, I hate to break it to you, but vegetables are also a carb. <laughs> All carbs contain sugars, but it's their chemical structure that determines their impact on our health, energy production, and maintenance. And so, I guess to simplify things, there are two types of categories of carbohydrates. So there are short-chain carbs, and these are also known as simple sugars or refined sugars. They're made up of one or two sugar molecules and are therefore digested quicker, giving a quick short burst of energy. So that's why we call these sugar highs because we crash shortly after. Then there are long chain carbs, also known as complex carbs, starches, or whole grains. These are made up of more than two sugar molecules and they require um, more breaking down by your body to absorb, hence why it provides us energy over a longer period of time. And now on top of this, we have fiber. Now I would consider fiber a long chain or complex carbohydrate because of its chemical structure, but essentially the way that fiber works is it's good for bowel movement. And the reason for this is because fiber is a kind of carbohydrate that our body cannot break down and digest. So whilst most carbohydrates are broken down into sugar molecules, fiber cannot be broken down. And of course, combined with adequate water intake, fiber helps to move things through our digestive system and helps bulk up our stool matter. And what comes with good digestive health is it helps to feed the good bacteria in our gut and allows for better energy production and, you know, bowel movement. Now meet my good friend protein. <laughs> All of my clients will know that I am a big advocate for ensuring you have adequate protein a day if you can't meet your macronutrients or if there's one thing that you can intuitively focus on for every meal, it's incorporating some sort of protein because protein is essential for muscle tissue repair, maintenance, and growth. So if you want to tone, if you want to build muscle, if you want to build strength, protein is absolutely essential. Protein is essential even if you don't want these things because you need it to maintain your current body anyway. Um, it also helps with other functions like your immunity, digestion, hormone regulation, um, and is one of the macronutrients that provides the biggest feeling of satiety, um, which is basically the feeling of fullness. So I often get questions around, you know, like I'm eating healthy, but still always hungry. What do I do? And the first thing I always ask is, are you eating enough protein? Because chances are you're not. People think that eating quotation marks healthy means only eating salads and not eating carbs. And then by extension, for some reason, people think that eating protein is going to make you gain weight. Um, I'd say anything in excess is always not great for you, but a nutritious and balanced diet is a combination of all macronutrients, eating the rainbow, eating a diverse range of food, and protein is a very important part of every balanced diet. Um, imagine a green salad with lettuce and maybe some croutons, maybe some cherry tomatoes, maybe some onion, some balsamic vinegar, you know, 
And then imagine chucking a can of tuna on that. Oh my goodness. Like how much more full would you be? It's not because of the salad, it's because of the protein. And you don't always have to get your source of protein from meat. You can also get it from pulses, beans, quinoa, nuts, seeds, grains, dairy, tofu. There are a lot of different ways you can incorporate protein into your eating. So it just takes a little bit of understanding and a little bit of research. And so the next macronutrient I want to talk about is fats. Now, I feel like fats are heavily condemned (laughs) Um, and they get a bad rap in the health and fitness industry, Uh, but not all fats are created equal. So there are three different categories. You have unsaturated fats, saturated fats, and trans fats. The ones that are integral to good health are the unsaturated fats, which branch out to be your monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. I don't mean to overwhelm any of you here, but I'm just hoping this provides a little bit of perspective on the different kinds of fats that we can have. Anyway, our bodies can't make essential fatty acids, which are omega-3 and 6, a type of polyunsaturated fat, which is required for nutrient absorption, energy, regulation of sex hormones, and helps keep our skin and joints healthy. So some examples of where we can get these omega-3 fatty acids are nuts, avocados, vegetable oils, fatty fish, seeds. Now, saturated fats should be eaten with care, as eating a lot of it can increase bad cholesterol in our blood. Saturated fats are commonly found in things like cheese, biscuits, pastries, pizzas, takeaway foods, but also naturally in meat like chicken and beef. Uh, And this is not to say that you should completely eliminate saturated fats. I certainly eat cheese, biscuits and chips quite frequently, but just be wary of it and read your food labels carefully to make sure you're not going overboard really tap into your intuition and understand how eating excess of these foods makes your body feel, how you perform the next day, how you feel, how you think. I always find that I feel really hazy, really bloated, really just inflamed. Like my whole existence feels heavy when I eat excess saturated fats. Um, So naturally I have like a reason to not indulge in these foods because it doesn't make me feel good and whilst they are tasty I value how I feel over the you know the instant satisfaction of enjoying something that isn't fueling me in the best way. Trans fats should pretty much be avoided as much as possible because eating these frequently has been shown to increase bad cholesterol and lower the production of good cholesterol in our blood. So this increases our risk for heart disease. You'll find trans fat in foods like deep fried foods, pastries, cakes, biscuits. (laughs) Sad, (laughs) but No, I'm not saying like eliminate it, but try not to eat as much. Again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to keep drilling this down. Some fat is better than others, but that doesn't justify eliminating fats altogether. It's about making smart choices. Now, the fourth macronutrient I want to introduce. Now, I think a lot of people have a different perspective on what the fourth macronutrient is, but I truly believe that water is a macronutrient because we need a lot of it in 
our daily lives, it might not give us energy because water has no calorie content, therefore it doesn't provide energy. Um, but water makes up 50 to 60% of our bodies and even still, we have no way of storing it. We are constantly losing it through our sweat, our urine, our poop. <laughs> That's why we must be having at least two liters a day, bare minimum. This amount is higher for those who are more active and maybe depending on your body type, your gender. Um, but regardless, we all need to stay hydrated. And so we all need water. Water serves so many different functions in our body. It includes hydration, reducing bloating, helping with digestion, heart and lung function, joint lubrication, protection of our muscle tissues, regulating body temperature. Oh my goodness. And so much more. Basically, water is amazing and you should be doing your best to drink as much as possible. All right, so hopefully I haven't completely overwhelmed you with the crash course to macronutrients. Uh, before we do wrap up today's episode, I do want to touch on nutrition psychology. Now, if you feel like you need to take a break, go ahead, pause the episode, go get some water, go get hydrated, go to the bathroom, maybe grab some tea. Um, but I do really want to touch on nutrition psychology because it's massive in the way that it plays for our lifestyle and our behavior around food. So have you ever gone grocery shopping when you were starving, like tummy rumbling, and you came back with a whole lot of stuff you did not need, even though you had a shopping list, you just couldn't help it. Oh, look, this like this thing's on sale. Oh, wow. These biscuits look yum. Wow. I should get this juice. Oh my goodness. Like this ice cream. Oh, that, that looks really yum. And you, you just like end up realizing, oh my goodness, I've spent like double what I usually would. But why? It's because you're hungry. <laughs> you never go to the grocery store hungry. And then what about finishing a plate of food that was way too much for you, but you didn't even do it, like you didn't even realize it. Like, I think there, we have a tendency to kind of finish what's in front of us, including like drinks and stuff. So sometimes we don't even realize we're full because we're conditioned to think that we have to finish what's in front of us. Because as kids, we were like disciplined if we didn't finish our food. Anyway, or have you ever like consistently wanted a snack? As soon as you got home from work, it's like, okay, home from work. This is my routine. Get a snack and like stand in the kitchen, watch a YouTube video while I eat this cookie. Um, and then by the time you started eating the snack, you couldn't stop. Like you couldn't come to your senses and then you were too full for dinner. I know these are all just really, really common and basic examples of the way nutrition psychology impacts our food behavior. And with a little bit of tweaks, and a little understanding of how our brain works around food, then we can learn to develop strategies to master our eating. So the first one is an easy one. And I've, I said this already, but don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Your mind is in a heightened state of desire. You are more likely to impulse buy things that you didn't account for. And when they're in your pantry, it's very likely you will eat them. <laughs> A lot of the time, now I don't like to do elimination diets, but sometimes it's good to implement it in the first stages of learning to eat intuitively because we so naturally reach for things that are available to us. Like proximity is a big part of our food behavior. If it's near us, if it's on our table, if it's in our pantry, if it's locked away in a box in the bottom of a pantry, all of these things play into whether we reach for it or not and whether we indulge in it or not. 
Um, so that's something to consider. My next tip is to think about how you portion your food, like your plates, your bowls, your cutlery. I think that a lot of the time we don't measure the food that we eat. And though that's totally okay if that works for you, I think it's really good as part of like the first step of becoming an, an intuitive eater and being very intuitive with your body is understanding how much we're eating, like the quantities. So once you get used to and know how much say for example 150 grams of rice what that looks like then we can you know gradually wean off measuring but i think it's really important to understand portion sizing and in the same way simply by switching to smaller plates we can be more conscious of how much food we're eating as well as satisfying our brain by tricking it into seeing that there's more food than there might really be using smaller and more dainty cutlery will also help us slow down our eating. If you have a tendency to inhale your food and don't like to put your forks down between bites, try eating with a smaller fork. You won't be able to get as much food in and you're forced to eat slower. Now eating slower also relates to being more mindful. You know, if you're the type of person who eats too quickly, our brains cannot register our satiety levels until about maybe 20 minutes after we actually are. So it's so easy to eat more than we need. You know, those, that feeling of just being completely stuffed, like your stomach is going to burst and you just instantly regret eating what you did. You know, you could easily resolve that just by eating slower and just allowing your body to digest and process and allow your brain to understand like okay is this enough food and I think a good way to check in with yourself as well is when you finish a meal you know assess your satiety levels am I at a hundred percent or am I at like 70 percent chances are if you feel like you're at 70 percent as soon as you finish eating it's going to increase to about 80 to 90 or even a hundred percent 30 minutes later because sometimes food needs time to expand as well in your body and also your brain needs time to process your satiety level. So the next tip that I have for you is to take note of the environment that you're in when you're eating. Soft and dim lighting encourages us to eat for longer because it distorts our consciousness of how long we've been eating for. Just like how shopping centers use lots of natural lighting, as well as bright artificial lighting to make you lose track of time when you spend shopping, many restaurants will also use the power of lighting to keep your customers comfortably eating for longer with the hopes that you'll order some more food too. Oh, like, I finished my food. <laughs> I'll have some dessert. I'm so comfortable. <laughs> so try to be conscious of this when you're eating at home. Another thing to play into the environment is stop eating whilst watching TV or indulging in media of some sort. It's so easy to mindlessly zone out. And, and when we do that, we also lose the sense of our satiety cues. So combine that with food that you haven't measured and you've put in a massive bowl, your tendency to eat everything that's in front of you and then put that in front of a TV, you are going to lose all sense of reality and just eat everything that's in front of you. And then you're going to finish your food and be like, oh my goodness, I feel so full. I'm going to stay on this couch and watch TV for the rest of the night and then regret it later because I feel so full and I should have done something more productive with my time. Not to say that watching TV is unproductive, but you know what I mean. 
So the last thing I want to talk to you about in relation to nutrition psychology, and probably one of the more important things, but the more challenging things to identify, it's to find your food triggers. Food triggers are kind of things that trigger you into eating a certain food or behaving a type of way or losing sense of, I guess, reality. And I mean, an example of this is like for me, my biggest trigger is and was like because I meal prep and so every time I eat every time it's time for lunch or dinner I have to I measure my food and I put it in the microwave to heat it up and one of my biggest triggers was as soon as the moment I put my food into the microwave to reheat my mind would go wild and think oh my gosh how many trips can I eat before the food's done? It's kind of like my little like challenge, like a little competition for myself. I have one minute and 30 seconds to indulge in food and it doesn't count. Like this isn't my meal. This is like my time to shine. It's so, so weird. It, I don't know, like it happens all the time. Sometimes I'm more aware of it than others, but like now that I talk about it out loud, I'm hyper aware of it and when I do it sometimes I don't even realize it but then yeah anyway so I've spent like so many nights so many painful nights uncontrollably scoffing down biscuits chips chocolate when I'm waiting for my food to reheat and then like I almost become like deaf to the sound of the microwave beeping because I'm like nah didn't hear it gonna keep eating and like when you live with someone else, it's not always possible to eliminate all the snacks in the pantry, um, especially if that person also likes to snack. Um, so I started like tucking snacks away into the very back corners of my pantry or in like very hard to reach places as an attempt to, I guess, slow down that, that need and desire, that craving, because accessibility plays a huge role in your food behavior. Um, another thing that I did was whenever I put my food into the kitchen and this takes a lot of control and it's not always going to work, but I would walk out of the kitchen whilst the food was heating up, um, whether that was to like maybe change out of my work clothes or go to the bathroom and freshen up. I needed to like completely remove myself from the situation in order to not be triggered by it. I felt I felt like I kind of just lost my mind as soon as that microwave started ticking. If I'm in the kitchen, I'm grabbing something. And I think that I'll only have one, but it's never only one. It's crazy. So identify your food triggers. And I mean, that's the first step. And ultimately to overcome these, you really need to like identify why they're triggers for you and what deeper problems in your subconscious they're perhaps covering or compensating for. I don't know whether I've really, like, this is a wormhole for me and I don't know if I can go into this today, but even I still don't really understand this trigger for me. It, it's, it could be a, a result of all this like restrictive dieting that I'd been through as a bodybuilding competitor feeling like I had to be secretive, that I, I wasn't allowed snacks and like this was the only time I could sneak it in or something. I don't know. I still don't really know, but I'm working on it. Anyway, so today was a really long episode. <laughs> Just to summarize everything that we spoke about today, you know, there's no magic pill, no magic formula or diet or program that's going to give you, 
I guess, the change that you want overnight. If you want something that's sustainable, you have to stay patient and trust that a little back and forth with experimenting with what works for you is needed. It's trial and error. There is no one size fits all approach. If you ever come across a program or a coach that tells you like, this is the exact formula or training program that you need to fix the problem that you have with your body. It's not true. Like there is a blueprint maybe, and there's like, you know, a kind of formula, but it's not going to be the same for every single person. So understand that there will be trial and error. And you need to also understand that your body goes through seasons just like the, the world does. You're not always going to look one certain way and that's okay. So thank you so much again for listening to this episode. I hope that you found it interesting, insightful. I hope you learned something. And if you're going to take any action, I hope that you can go away and have a think about three different strategies that you might implement into your eating to make it a more sustainable lifestyle and more enjoyable for you. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.